I understand completely. Good. Then understand this. I don't give a flying fig about the lines in my face, the crow's feet by my eyes, or the altitude of my caboose. Hey, that's okay. That's what you got me for. And I don't give a flying fig about people who do. Well, I'm at a loss. I don't know what a flying fig is. That's okay. They do. Now start the show. Start the show? Start the show. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy Award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Welcome to Moonlighting the Podcast. Hi, Shauna. Hi, Grace. What's happening? How's your week been? Oh, it's been really nice. Just enjoying the hot summer days here in California. I know you've got winter there. I think we've talked about that before, but took a little trip around the U.S., went to a wedding for a friend, and yeah, just been enjoying my time off from work. How about you? I recently went to see the Elvis exhibit. A nearby art gallery here had an Elvis exhibit. A lot of items such as, you know, the wedding outfits, Lisa Marie's little um, fairy jacket, a little bit of jewellery, his MG. So we had a great time there at the art gallery looking at all the Elvis memorabilia. (laughs) Sybil would have liked that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, true. And yesterday I went to see the Elvis movie, which was amazing. Loved it. Yes. Yeah, Baz Luhrmann did a great job. In telling yeah, I was really story. different. He has a different way of um, telling a story in a different way than other movie makers do, and I really, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Bit of a tearjerker. You went to see it too, didn't you? So we, you know, do you have your tissues ready to go? <laughs> I did. Yes, it was. Yeah, I don't want to ruin the ending for people, but yeah, it was a tearjerker in the end. And even though I, you know, I'm a big Elvis fan, I visited Graceland and. You know, I feel like I know the story of Elvis pretty well, um, but like like you were saying, this is a different perspective, comes from a different angle, more about how he was influenced, all the music that influenced him and his relationship with Colonel Parker. It was a really good take on the film and tearjerker in the end, but yes, huge Elvis fan. So thought it was a great movie as well. Today's episode is In God We Strongly Suspect, which is from season two, episode 13. It aired on the 11th of February, 1986. It was directed by Will McKenzie, written by Glenn Gordon Caron and Scott Spencer Gordon. The guest stars are J.A. Preston as the coroner, Kay Callan as Carolyn Kandinsky, F. William Parker as the funeral home director, Eddie Quillen as Abby Cadabra, Dominic Bartow as Mr. Kandinsky, Barry Cutler as the assistant coroner number one, and then we had David Elsey as the assistant coroner number two and Hetty Lynn Hertz as the little reporter, the tiny little reporter. David and Maddie are hired to watch over the body of an escape artist who died as part of a magic trick, attempting to escape out of a tank of water. Before he died, he often threatened his wife that he would come back from the dead and kill her for all of her indiscretions. The widow is now afraid for her life, so she hires them to watch over the body. 
They spend the night in the morgue, but in the morning they realise the corpse has disappeared. Not long after this, the widow was found dead after a mysterious car accident. The plot twists when Maddie and David discover that the escape artist is in fact still alive and involved in a diamond heist, during which he seemingly dies again. In the midst of all this, the Blue Moon workers organise a birthday party for Maddie, of which they don't quite get the response they had hoped for. All is revealed in the final moments of this popular episode when Maddie and David corner the killer by knocking him out with a bullseye. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and another Will McKenzie directed episode, which is always. Yeah, and he directed um, Atomic as well. Yeah, Atomic, uh, My Fair David. And uh, remember, um, he directed half of one of the re- more recent episodes we did. Um, yes. Right of Tupperman, I think he directed like part of it. I don't know how that worked, but they had two directors listed for that and he was one of them. So yeah, he, you know, definitely the second season, he was one of their go-to directors for sure. It's another intro with Maddie and David talking to the viewers about how the post office bungled the delivery of the 3D glasses to everyone. It's just another opportunity for Maddie to stomp him on the foot when he asks her to stand up and put her chest out. There are certain subtle values that are enhanced by 3D. Absolutely. Stand up, will you, May? Arch your back a little bit. Do I got to draw you a map, folks? Oh! How some things would look in 3D, yeah. So apparently Glenn had an idea to have a 3D episode, but it didn't quite work out. Yeah, he mentioned that in our interview that there were things that he wanted to do, one of them being 3D episode and things like that. He had so many other ideas that he wanted to do with the show. So, And it sounds like they even maybe got started or got started talking about the 3D episodes and maybe talking to people who record 3D episodes, but for some reason it never happened. Yeah, so I'm wondering whether at the time there was promos for it or something and then it didn't work out, so they had to explain it at the start. Do you think that was the reason why? I think there was at least an ad for it, a Moonlighting 3D episode or something. I think I've seen one before. I don't know, but were they really going to do it? Because I think, I mean, why would they have an ad for it and then not do it? I know these 3D episodes, you know, you need a special camera, a new crew comes in and all of that. Like it takes a while to film it in 3D. So I know it was an idea. And the viewers would have to have 3D glasses. So viewers would already have to have them. I found it a little bit interesting that he referenced House of Wax, which was a 1953 movie which starred Vincent Price as a disfigured sculptor who repopulates his destroyed wax museum by murdering people and using their wax-coated remains as displays. Ew. Um, It premiered in New York on April 10, 1953 and had a general release on April 25. Now, it's funny because... House of Wax was the first colour 3D feature film from a major American studio and premiered two days after the Columbia Pictures film Man in the Dark, the first major studio black and white 3D feature. So it was the first 3D movie with stereophonic sound to be presented in a regular theatre. So it sounds like Glenn might have got his inspiration from the House of Wax. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And I like how... She says, start the show. And he turns on the actual projector. Yeah, again. <laughs> He's getting the habit yeah. of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cute. You know, it's always fun, of course, to see Maddie and David there together. You know, the whole blurred lines thing, yeah. you know, of they know they're, that they're just aware that they're TV characters, I guess. It's not Sybil and Bruce. It's Maddie and David. Yeah. but they know that they're characters and yeah, it's just that whole blurred line thing. And I think too, it makes up a little bit for no kissing. It makes up for that because they're talking to all the fans and they love it when they turn the lights out and he's got his legs around her and his arms and. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> so good. When I'm watching it, I often think, gee, I hope nobody turned on the TV while moonlighting was on and the screen's black and they're not knowing what's happened previously. They probably thought there's something wrong with their TV. (laughs) Well, uh, that happens uh, before Witness, right? Isn't that? No, that happens before Every Daughter's Father is a Virgin. Yes. 
The reason I remember that is because they're talking about them kissing and like all the fan mail is about all them the kissing. fan mail. That's right. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I remember it was that one in particular was before Every Dollar's Father is a Virgin because they talk about them kissing and then in Witness, the very next episode, they do kiss. So it was kind of like oh, okay. scratching that itch in a way. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. This episode is three weeks after the DePisto episode. Okay. Yeah, three three weeks break. Yeah, it was a three-week break because North by North was the 21st of January and this one was the 11th of February. Like we kind of said before, we start to see longer and longer breaks between the episodes as they get more and more tired. One comment on Sybil's outfit or Maddie's outfit here, which she does wear at the beginning of the show. She's worn this outfit already in two other episodes. Any idea which episodes? Yes, Yes, you've mentioned it before in a previous episode. Yeah. So it was um, Read the Mind, See the Movie. And Brother, Can You Spare a Blonde? She has a pink shirt instead of a beige. Oh, shirt. yeah. She just changes the shirt. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So the popular this outfit. A, yeah. This is a popular outfit because some we never see again. This one three times in the season. Yeah. It keeps coming back. No. Three times in the first two seasons. Yeah. So it keeps coming back. She must have liked it or maybe they liked how it, was, how it filmed or I don't know. But yeah. I think it looks comfortable on her. I think she feels comfortable. Yeah, maybe it was always tell. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just comfortable. So, and like we said before, I do like that the same outfits reappear. Yeah. So, the opening scene, we have the magician getting ready for his act. And he's in his dressing room and then he's, you know, putting the locks on. And I think everybody's pretty familiar with this magic act about, Mm. you know, someone being locked up and then like being, you know, put in water and having them escape. I've definitely seen that before. How about you? Yes. It's a popular trick for magicians. We don't know how they do it, but they do it apparently, except for Mr. Kandinsky. He didn't quite get it right. (laughs) Or did Um, he? Yeah. Or did he, depending on the end. Um, Yeah, they go through all the steps, him having the locks put on, someone from the audience checking, and Mrs. Kandensky is announcing my husband needs total silence and all that. So we know their husband and wife, you know, so the whole kind of plot is being set up right here. I'm in the first few minutes. I also noted that the audience is so well dressed, you know, so many suits in the 80s, you know, (laughs) suits everywhere. You can't can't throw a rock and hit anyone in a suit these days. But uh, Yep. Suits everywhere. Nicely dressed audience there for their magic show and just kind of setting up the plot, I guess. We've got Kandinsky up there and he gets in the, no, it actually starts with them in their dressing room. Um, And this poor gentleman, his name's Dominic Bartow and he's on there for like three seconds. They've dressed him (laughs) all up and he's got his makeup on and he's standing there and they, you know, and I'm like, yeah, what, (laughs) what? (laughs) He doesn't get to say anything. Um, yeah, the episode's kind of all about him, but uh, it's the shortest appearance on screen ever, right? Yeah. Just as they're getting ready, they they are showing some tricks of the trade. They're showing the knife and a key, yes. you know, that he attaches to him. So he should be able to get out and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Dominic Bartow, his career began in 1969. There's not a lot of um, acting credits for him, but he was in The Owl and the Pussycat in 1970. And 1972 was in Man of La Mancha. And in 1975, he was in The Count of Monte Cristo. So he's been in some pretty good movies like Pritzi's Honor, but he's known for Rocky IV in 1985, mm-hmm. Count of Monte Cristo in 75, and Man of La Mancha in 1972. So that's Dominic Bartow. Really quick before we move on, about the title, In God We Strongly Suspect, a spin on In God We Trust, which is like the official motto of the United States printed on just about all the money and things like that. So, yep. So he had to put an opposite spin on it. Yeah. So it's like, and God, we strongly suspect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not quite as strong as in God, we trust, you know, (laughs) and we see how that plays out later in the episode. They put him in the water. The trick goes horribly wrong, yet he is supposed to have survived it. I don't know how he survived that long in the water. They seem to wait too long before the guy goes and gets the diehard axe to smash the glass, <laughs> right? So yeah, the atomic Shakespeare axe, <laughs> or the atomic Shakespeare axe. Yep. Yeah. So I just thought they might have taken too long. And the girl, how's the casting of that girl in the audience to scream? 
So would they have had to yeah. have a casting call? Right. All you got to do is scream. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, it's kind of like his wife, you know, knows it's taking too long and they keep showing the clock, but she hesitates, you know, probably it's his reputation, you know, I mean, he might get upset if she broke the glass too soon, you know, so it's like, you're giving him a chance. She's sure he can pull it off. She's probably seen him do it a hundred times or a thousand times. Yeah. Yeah. They did wait too long. But then again, supposedly from the storyline, he does survive it. As the plot goes, as explained later, he fakes his death, basically, and then is sent to the coroner who he's made a deal with. Mm. Right? Anyway. And then you see all the water go all over the audience. That must have been fun. Yeah, I wonder how they filmed that Mm. and where they filmed that. This looks like a theater, and then how do you get water to run all over the stage? And You know what I mean? Without ruining everything. I don't know. I think there would have been a lot of preparation in that. They would have had to waterproof the area or something. Yeah. Maybe they put a bunch of plastic down or something. Yeah, well, it goes into the audience and everything. Must have been a fake set or something. Who knows? And then the elevator opens, a very crowded elevator this time. So many times, every time they open the elevator, there's nobody in it or it's just them. You feel like they're the only ones in the office building, but <laughs> now we've got an elevator full of people, right? Yeah, that's true. In future, it's only her coming out of the elevator when chances are that's a big building, like they're twin buildings. Like you would think they'd be always packed, at least one other oh, person yeah. in there. So I'm glad they've showed that there's it's a full elevator and she's at the back and yeah. she's going getting off, getting off. But when you yeah. watch her saying that, she's not actually trying to get off. She's just behind all those people. I know. There's about eight men, eight very kind of tall white, all looking kind of the same men yeah. in suits. In suits. What a surprise. Uh, yeah. What a surprise with a paper under their arms. And you're right. She's not pushing through or anything. I think she's just thinking these guys will like part the seas and let her out, you know, but of course they don't. Then you see her foot trying to divide the doors apart. Yeah. <laughs> her pump. And she gets out and thanks them and that they're all in her will. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're all in my will. And I've written here her beige suit again. Yes, again. You're right. And kind of get a full length shot of Maddie. She kind of like readjusts herself and she walks down the hall to Blue Moon and steps into a very dark Blue Moon. She's wondering where everybody is. They should be at work already. We assume it's after nine because when she normally gets in. But yeah, where is everybody? Because Mr. Pesto is always there on time before everybody. Yes. But she finds a little trail of (laughs) breadcrumbs, as David says. (laughs) Yeah, so she sees um, David's shoes on the ground and uh, women's stilettos and his socks and a bra on the door. She kicks one of the stilettos aside. (laughs) I wouldn't uh, think anything less of Maddie. I wonder what's going through her mind right now. He couldn't possibly have a woman in there, surely. (laughs) You never know with David Addison. Oh, he's unpredictable. Yes, he is. But, you know, where are all the wobblies? Where is Agnes? David's seemingly got something going on behind closed doors. So, yeah. Anyway. David, where's everybody? And then I'm coming in and she storms into his office. David, where is everybody? David, I'm coming in where he is sitting there with his feet up on the table with no socks or shoes on and all the office workers are there with their birthday hats on and they yell surprise. I like how he says, And they say nothing works like breadcrumbs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he knew that would get her in there for sure. And Mm -hmm. he starts singing the Beatles song, They Say It's Your Mm -hmm. Birthday, from their 1968 album called The White Album. Love it. Big Beatles fan. So... Can't you just see them planning it? <laughs> I get to see David's the smirk on his face like, ooh, is she going to be mad when she sees this? You know? <laughs> like, hey, cats and kittens, let's all hide in the office and we'll put a trail of clothes and she'll assume the worst, but she'll barge right in and we can sing the song. I could just see them planning it. You know? He would have had fun doing that. Because mm-hmm. there's no yeah, such sure. thing as work. So we might no. as well have fun while we're here. Yeah, definitely. What I noticed in this scene was that there were 29 cuts in the whole scene, right? Up and back, up and back, sideways, wherever. So there's 29 cuts. Okay. Stibble is in 14 of them, okay? Okay. 
but there's only five of her and Bruce. Hmm. Obviously, when she's sitting down from behind, that's the body double. Yeah. And the single shots, she's obviously just did those quickly and not talking to anybody in particular. Yeah, I just thought that was another sad moment of moonlighting where they're not all in the room together except for a couple mm-hmm. of shots. Right. Yeah, where it's kind of cut together. But it's well yeah, done. Yeah, it is well done. And with the body double, you barely notice unless you're doing a podcast 30 years later. <laughs> Because with the hair, you know, the top of her head there and stuff like that, you feel like she's there or whatever. But Mm. yes, we do notice more and more and other parts of this episode, including the end, which I'm very sad about. (laughs) But, you know, that chemistry is still there, whether they're in the same room or not, um, which is pretty amazing as well. Yeah. um, Which is a tribute to the the great acting. But uh, that's funny that you counted it all out and they had only five shots of Bruce Mm. and Sybil together. Mm. Now, I have a question for you. What is her problem? <laughs> I know this drives you nuts. We've talked about this scene, I think, outside of the podcast. Um, and by the way, uh, before I answer that, uh, I was just looking at the air date again. So Feb 11th, Sybil's birthday is actually Feb 18th, which is the air date for every daughter's father as a virgin that year. Yes. So it is actually around her birthday anyway. So that's kind of interesting. Maybe that's oh. what gave one the idea, you know. Good. Yes, I didn't think of that. And Bruce's is March 19th. So they would have done this early February, I suppose. Yeah. So maybe with her birthday approaching or something. But, you know, I think Glenn does ideas sprout from like sometimes what's really going on with them, you know, or he likes to stick things like that in. So, yes, yeah, kind of interesting. That was close to Maddie's birthday anyway. Okay. So what is her problem? I think, well, he asked her in the next scene what was going on. And she just says, you know, like, um, Grace, she's not a woman to make a fuss of her babies. She's not a woman to make a fuss of her birthdays. <laughs> Goodness me. I'm just I think she's the- being a little awkward and embarrassed or something. Mm. You know? We hope you're enjoying listening to Moonlighting the podcast. And for all you devoted Moonlighting fans out there, we now have Moonlighting merchandise. Check it out at redbubble.com slash people slash moonpod2016. Everybody in the office have taken the time, like they've oh. obviously planned it and taken the time to organize everything. That's what David was right. trying to tell her. And she could at least make out, you know, wouldn't you just go, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> but she's really restrained. Well, well, well. Well. Well, well, well. What a surprise. Well, I certainly wouldn't be leaving before the cake was cut. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. She doesn't give them a chance to. I mean, they have a cake there. They have balloons. They have hats. They have blowers and all of that stuff. And he's singing a song. Oh, by the way, so it's a Beatles song. And then Bruce kind of switches into that. <laughs> was he doing an Elvis impression there? When he flips up his collar and puts the, the sunglasses on and kind of like turns around like, happy oh, birthday. I don't know. I, didn't I think he kind that. of turned into a little bit of an Elvis. We're going to have a good time. It's your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Maddie. Happy Happy, 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 birthday to Happy birthday, Yeah, that would have been very apropos if that was what he was doing. <laughs> I think he was. I've, I've kind of thought that before, but put it out to the audience. Guys, what do you think? Is it yeah. Beatles to Elvis? Maddie, I think, was being really restrained, and I think that... Well, I mean, she does kind of explain it. And, you know, she's just not really into celebrating her birthday because to her, it hasn't been a very good year. But you're right. Like the workers and everybody have put in a lot of effort. And she's just like, well, well, well. But so David says to her and he walks in the office. He's like, all these people are trying to show you that they care. And you, you just kind of brush it off. He really does try his best to get her to have some fun. And it doesn't yeah. always work. Yeah. I think, so, he, uh, yeah, he's uh, a little embarrassed. Yeah, he was at the end because he, he just looked at them and said, oh, excuse me, and he walks out. 
so we're in her office now and he tries to find out why she's so melancholy. Um, as you said, she judges her birthday on what her accomplishments were for the year and where she was last year and where she wants to be next year, which yeah, it's good to have goals and look at your what you've done in the past. I think she's being a little bit pessimistic in this scene. She's not being very positive about the future. Yes, I know it's a terrible thing that's happened to her, but it's David's job now to pick her up. That's right. I think you pointed this out before. Didn't we talk about the scene before when he's in his office, he has no tie on and his collar's up and he's barefoot. You know, he's like, oh, excuse me. He's embarrassed. He leaves and comes into her office and he's like fully tie. You know what I mean? Like he's back dressed. So there's like a bit of goof there. There is a goof. Yep. And you can tell when he leaves her office that he's still barefoot by the way he's walking. But when he gets to her office, which is probably a different day, he's talking to her and he puts his feet up on her desk and he's got his shoes on all of a sudden. And he's got his shoes. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Uh, Yes. Yeah. I put that in this scene. He is all over that desk. He's on the corner. He's leaning on it. And then he's got his feet (laughs) on it. (laughs) He's like... He's like blonde well, on blonde when he's like yeah, rolling well, all over that. That's right. Well, he can't put his hands on her and <laughs> go all over her. So he does it to her desk instead. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. That's true. No, I think Maddie is basically just what she said. It has not been a banner year in the life of Madeline Hayes, which mm. by the way, I like how he calls her Madeline Hayes in this scene. But uh, it's not a year that she's really looking you know, to celebrate. But then again, some crappy things happened, but some great things happened. She started her own business and lots of things have showed her that that was the right thing. I mean, just look at Atlas Belched, you know, I mean, that episode showed her that her life, how it was before is over and she wouldn't want that life back, that this Mm -hmm. is her new life, building the business. Mm -hmm. She's got her business partner and all of that. So she should be happy. I don't know why she is, you know, being kind of down about it. She's actually taken over the role of detective quite well. Because yeah. she's actually solved a few crimes herself without him. And especially in knowing her, right? In knowing her, she realized about the bullets, two yeah. bullets. Yeah. All right. She's no longer a model, but she's doing quite well as being a detective. And they work well together, even though she thinks they don't. Like, what do we do now? What do we do now? Yeah. Um, I like how David <laughs> says. There's nothing to tell. Well, there must be something to tell because eight people just try to show you how much they care about you and you acted as nervous as a whore in church. <laughs> Boy, was that fast. <laughs> that went fast. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But including him, it's actually nine. But he said eight, obviously, because of the workers. Oh, yeah. But I was going to say, you know, Maddie, as far as her detective skills, even in this episode later, when they come back and he's exhausted and he keeps saying he wants to go home and sleep, she's the one who's like invigorated and energized by the case and like wanting to figure it out and solve it. You know, I don't think she wants to admit how good things are. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she doesn't want to admit to him. That's right. (laughs) Or or to herself that she's enjoying it. But David can't believe that Maddie, of all people, would be worried about growing older. Yeah. And she says this has nothing to do with growing older. 
Let me tell you something, Madeline Hayes. Those lines on your face, a little crow's feet around your eyes, that silly little millimeter your caboose has dropped in the past decade. This is something you rehearsed ahead of time. Just way of telling you. You got nine holes left to play. Why not enjoy it? Always the optimist. She says, I can't wait until it's your birthday. And he says, 47 days, 13 hours and 51 minutes. David's birthday? Yeah. It could be because they would have recorded this at the beginning of February because it aired on the 11th. And his birthday is on so what March. Is he well, Bruce's is on March 19th. But tell me the numbers he says again. He says 47 days, 13 hours, 51 minutes. Well, February only has 28. 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47. It is. It is. It lands on March 19th. If they filmed this around Feb 1st, 47 days is March 19th. Well, that makes sense because this was. It has to be. Yeah. This aired on 11th of February. So that would have taken that long to air the episode. So they've actually sat down and worked out when his birthday was. Fabulous. That's so good. That is funny. But let me tell you something. Later in Moonlighting, David talks about his birthday and he says a date and he says me, Jimi Hendrix and somebody else. And Jimi Hendrix's birthday is November 27th. Oh, okay. But that could be season five, which is when they're shells to themselves. So I'd go more with this one. This one is definitely like it was Sybil's birthday coming up and then they said 47 and it lands on Bruce's birthday. So it's definitely I, a reference to. Yeah. I just love how they use their real life experiences yeah. or details in the show. That's, that's terrific. <laughs> that's what makes the show so intoxicating. I'm telling you, that's part yeah. of it. The, all the blurred lines, you that's know, great. it is grace. That's why we do this. Maddie says, Darn, I planned on grading my tile that day. <laughs> and he says, I understand completely. Good. Then understand this. I don't give a flying fig about the lines in my face, the crow's feet by my eyes, or the altitude of my caboose. Hey, that's okay. That's what you got me for. And I don't give a flying fig about people who do. Well, I'm at a loss. I don't know what a flying fig is. That's okay. They do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is all great. And I love, you know, Sybil has some great comebacks. Like, oh, darn, I was going to reroute my tile that day and things like that. She's got some funny, like, lines back to him. Very quick. And also, Sybil rarely breaks the fourth wall. It's usually Bruce. So mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, special for her to do it. Yeah. And that's what I said about in... Um... Twas the episode before Christmas when she's in the hallway with Agnes. I thought, you know what? Wish she had a looked at the camera. So I'm glad they've got her to look at the camera this time and wink. Terrific. Yeah. Because has she broken the fourth wall yet? Has she ever done it? Or is this the first time that Sybil's done it or Maddie's done it? Not really. I can't remember a time that she's done it before this. I mean, she does in the pilot, but that's not. She's just talking to the reporters. Yeah, I don't count that. That's right. She's talking to like entertainment tonight. Yeah. Do you know the story about the flying fig? Because apparently they said flying frig, but then they yeah. changed it. They the changed censors it. didn't like it. They changed the audio. So do you know the story behind that? The story that I remember is that it was flying frig and the censors, I think they didn't even like it on the page. And I think if I remember correctly, and the censor, they didn't even like flying frig on the script. And they said, let's record it and see how you like it when they say it. And I think Glenn was just hoping once it was recorded, they would let it slide. But once it was recorded, they still didn't like flying frig, which why? I mean, I guess it doesn't even sound close to like flying fuck, whatever, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not even close. I mean, people say frickin', but it's, yeah. not, it's not a bad. Yeah, friggin'. Maybe they, they thought it was too close to like a synonym or something. I don't know. Anyway, they made them re-record it to, I don't give a flying fig and probably out of the line. I don't know what a flying fig is because it's like now she's saying fig and that doesn't really mean anything at all, you know? So I think frig, they just thought was like too much of a, maybe a slang for it or something. Now I can't remember if they, I think they did it like an overdub, which would be kind of interesting, I guess, to look closer at their lips. I think it was an overdub that they then changed it to fig. Yeah. Yeah. So their mouths yeah. so it might be saying frig. I don't think they re-recorded the entire scene. You know mm. what I mean? I can't see yeah, them so, doing that. But 
I've watched it over and over and it, it doesn't look out of place. It doesn't look like she's saying frig. But the words are close. But it's one of those classic scenes that you see in montages as well. You know, it's one of the favourite scenes of Moonlighting, definitely, for me anyway. <laughs> it's a very classic scene, yeah. Of all the things that they get away with, like in Twas the Episode Before Christmas with him, that is the last time I squeeze myself into a tight <laughs> hole without clothes on. I mean, they'll allow that and they want to allow frig. <laughs> honestly, where do they get these senses from, honestly? What the hell? Yeah, I know. It really is just silly. Classic, yes. classic. It's definitely a classic, yeah. Yes, so yeah. Maddie is very pensive. You know, she's, as you said, she's this hasn't been a banner year in the life of Madeline Hayes. She feels that it has been a quantum leap backwards for her. And she thinks David is offended by this comment. But, you know, I think he is a little hurt by that because he looks at her very disappointed. But then he does his, his flip as he does. Um, mm-hmm. starts talking about what's on the cards, fate, destiny, the master plan, trying yeah. to pucker her up. But again, she's really looking at this pessimistically that there is no master plan. You get up in the morning, you live your life. If you work hard, make the right choices and keep your nose clean, you get ahead. If you don't, you don't. I didn't, and that's that. She's in a mood, isn't she? Yeah, work hard and keep your nose clean. I mean, do you think that she thinks that she wasn't paying enough attention to her finances and that's why Sawyer took her money and all of that stuff? Like, how was she to know? How was it her fault that her money was stolen? She did the work. She made the money. She was all set up. But this thing happened to her, you know, and was it, it wasn't really her fault. Maybe she feels like she could have stopped it somehow or been more aware. I think she feels that way. That she should have been more attentive to her finances instead of relying on other people and she was too trusting. I think she's become non-trusting of a lot of people, including David, and that's why she keeps her guard up, keeps up that brick wall. It's too bad because David's done a lot of things to show her that he is to be trusted and that he's on her side and her team. She's got a really cynical and depressing way of looking at life at the moment in this scene. (laughs) I know, yeah. For her birthday, she's really mm. down in the dumps. And doesn't matter what he does, it, it's not puckering her up much. But this conversation opens up a future conversation about the belief in religion and having a belief in something at least. She says to him, thank you for thinking of me. But he said, but please don't do it again. And he puts his feet up on the desk and that's when he's got his shoes on again. That's a big goof. We'll add that to the many. Yep. So enter Agnes, letting them know that there is someone to see them, but she says it in a very snooty way. She's clearly not happy with Maddie's response to her birthday party. (laughs) Agnes can really throw some attitude at Maddie, you know? Yeah. like like their teenage mother. Yeah, it's just the way she says it and her expression. It's like, Miss Hayes, Miss Madison, there's someone here to see you. Like, I'm not happy with you because we've just celebrated your birthday and you walked out of the room. And David shoves the bra in his pocket. Okay, that's another goof. So what I noticed was when he walks in, he puts the bra on the back of the chair. And then later in the scene, when Mrs. Kandinsky is about to walk in, he takes the bra off the arm of the chair. So that's another goof for the episode. Yeah, that's true. You're right. No goof. All right. Well, Mrs. Kandinsky comes in and guess what, Grace? She shakes their hand. What? <laughs> well, wonders is, never cease. What's going I on? Know. Go figure. You know, they both get a handshake from Mrs. Kandinsky. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. They've been that's missing in quite a few episodes of late, haven't they? I know, yeah. Very, we get very few handshakes, but here, handshakes all around. When they meet the coroner, when they meet Mrs. Kandinsky, everybody gives them a handshake. But when you think about it, you can't use that in every episode. You can't just have people not shaking hands. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they we, do it enough. I know. I mean, yeah. we had Mr. Tupperman, we had Mrs. Graydon, and, you know, nobody wants to shake mm-hmm. hands with them. Oh, well, I'm yeah. glad Carolyn Kandinsky is a very polite lady. And the three kings or so, someone in Twas didn't shake their hand either. I can't remember who, but yeah, it happens mm. quite a bit. She introduces herself that she's the wife of the incredible Kandinsky, who was a magician and escape artist. Maddie realizes who she is because she saw the paper that morning with the headline. 
So she's telling her the story that she needs protection from her late husband. And Maddie goes, I see. You do? Because <laughs> he's dead. How could she want protection from her late husband? So she begins to explain that he devoted himself to everything that was mystical and studied the occult. And there were indiscretions by her. And he never forgave her for that. So he swore that as the crowning act of his life, he would come back from the dead and kill her. And David says, Talk about all that grudge. <laughs> so tomorrow he's going to be cremated and would like someone to watch over the body until then. Despite which, and contrary to both the laws of physics and biology, you think the old boy is going to get a little antsy tonight and decide to stretch his legs anyway? <laughs> <laughs> decide to stretch his legs. But I like what Carolyn says to him when she walks out. Most people would say they don't believe in superstition. Cracked mirrors, the 13th floor. Tell me. Would you walk underneath a ladder if you didn't really have to? He had yeah. nothing to respond to that, did he? That's what I wrote too. David kind of mocks her, but then she kind of throws it right back at him, questioning David's belief in superstition. The other interesting thing that Mrs. Kandinsky says, basically she let it be known that she had cheated and there were indiscretions and they were only together for the show. Some people stayed together for the kids. They stayed together for the act. And he vowed. It sounds very, very, very harsh that after death, he would come back and kill her as his final trick, a very harsh threat. And when Mrs. Kandinsky is leaving, our favorite thing that happens, Grace, she tells them the fee. $2,000 for one night's work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I've written here, again, $2,000 for one night's work, and they didn't even mention their fees. Yep. Is 2000 enough, I guess, for just a night there? I mean, they get offered like 50000 5000 10000 20000 you know, I guess. I mean, 2000 for a night? It seemed a little low. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I mean, they've got 2000 to sleep in a morgue on the cold ground. You're right. It doesn't seem like enough. And then David howls. <laughs> Welcome to Chiller Theatre. I had to look that up because I'm like, what on earth is Chiller Theatre? And apparently, if you were a child in the 60s in New York City, then you will remember this classic opening to Chiller Theatre. Every Saturday night, Channel 11 showed all the great B-movie horror and sci-fi classics. Chiller Theatre actually began on WPIX during 1961 with a montage of clips. And in 1963, included John Zachary, the cool ghoul, as the on-air host. Now, this is what I found interesting, Shauna. By 1971, the painted title card sequence was replaced with the popular claymation six-figured hand introduction. Six-fingered hand introduction? It was a claymation, like oh. a little Maddie and David claymation that are done in oh, yeah. later, later episodes. Oh, cool. He did it well, the way he imitated it. Chiller theatre. Chiller theatre, yes. And lo and behold, Maddie wants to take the case. Yes, she's happy to take the case, and he is absolutely flabbergasted. <laughs> Maddie thinks it's a short-term job and they need the money. She feels it's not a case, there's no mystery, and she's going home to get some sleep. But, yeah, well, they just got in. <laughs> but I think he's being very thoughtful here. It's her birthday and that he should do it himself. Yeah. But, no, she wants to meet him there at 8.30. She is adamant she is not celebrating her birthday. <laughs> Come join our Facebook community at Fans of Moonlighting the Podcast and our Instagram community at Moonlighting the Podcast. And he keeps trying to get her to celebrate the birthday. He is so thoughtful. He is. He is. He is. He is like being so nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if that was me in the mortuary and he turns the lights out and comes out with a cake, I would have thought, yeah. oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> well, okay. He's already set up a work party. Then he offers, let me just go. I'll go. I'll watch the body. Don't worry. It's your birthday. Go celebrate. No. Mm. Then they're in the mortuary and he comes in with a candle singing again. No. She stops him. Then he's like, happy birthday, Maddie. And you know what I mean? Like he is like really, really trying to, he's like, Maddie, it's your birthday. He like wants her to have a lovely birthday. And she is just like not having it. She's not having yeah. any of it. She doesn't appreciate David sometimes. I hate to say it. But yeah, it is funny how he's like, aren't you going to tell me that we can't take this case? Why would I do that? Well, because that's what you always do. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Maddie, you're always trying to find some reason. Like, we're not taking this case. I know. 
And we're now at the mortuary and there's a lightning strike to add a bit of mm-hmm. atmosphere. And, and yes. we have F. William Parker, who is the funeral home director. And I know him from West Wing. He did two episodes in West Wing. He played Al Coldwell. Great role. But he is known for Lost Highway in 1997. He was in Revenge of the Nerds in 1984. And oh. he said, she said in 1991. That's um, F. William Parker. His career began in 1963. He was on General Hospital and then he did mainly TV series. So that's F. William Parker. All right. And we get outfit number two from Maddie, a mm-hmm. white pantsuit. She's just always drowning in these pantsuits to me. They're way too baggy. They don't show her figure off at all. Mm. It reminds me of the one in like knowing her. I don't know if they're the same. I, I, I haven't really looked to see if they're the same pantsuits, but they're just too baggy. And I, I just never like these pantsuits on her, but that's Maddie's night outfit, isn't it? Well, I suppose it was the fashion. Even the men's pants used to be baggy like that, especially in the 90s. But yeah, they don't do anything for her. Not at all. Yeah. She would have looked great in skinny jeans. Yes. That's what I would love to see. Yeah. But that's not Maddie. I know. But what's funny is, what was it? Season five, I think. They ran some ads where Maddie's wearing jeans. Oh, really? Is, yeah. 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 And she has a wedding ring on randomly. Oh. <laughs> I'll show you later. Yeah. She's wearing a wedding ring. So it makes no sense. Anyway, and it's not Sybil's wedding ring because Sybil never wore a wedding ring. You know how Bruce, at least in one episode, he's wearing his actual wedding ring when yeah. he was married to Demi. Yeah. 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 But Sybil didn't wear a ring. So it's not like they accidentally took photos of her with her ring on. It's oh, okay. like they had to do it on purpose. So I, yeah, I just wonder if they had plans for them to get married or engaged or something. But anyway, we won't talk about that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we love getting ahead of ourselves, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> That's way ahead. All right. So the funeral director gives them directions and David has a smart ass remark. Any steaks or wooden mallets, Artie? Yeah. They enter the room where the body is and David starts singing the skeleton song, which was in the episode Bride of Tupperman. He slams on the metal box. I like how he says we need to inspect the merchandise, check out the goods. Make sure batteries aren't included. (laughs) Great line. Yeah, that is good. So he checks it and he turns around and says, Good news, no news. Which is funny because that's something my father used to say. Oh, really? Yeah, but he'd say no news, good news. He'd say it the other way around. But anyway. Oh, right. Um, yeah. And Maddie, <laughs> look at Maddie. Maddie goes, so he's still? Dressed, yeah, but the night's still young. <laughs> oh, my God. Again, Maddie says, so what do we do now? Yes. So he says, well, we could do it in shifts. Of course, we are alone. No chaperone. Can I trust you to be good when my eyes are closed? <laughs> Honestly, this scene is hilarious because she says, I wonder if there's room for two bodies in there. And he goes, yeah, but then we have to take that one out. I know. That is such a great, like, quick line. And I love how many times he propositions her in this episode. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, she's always, like, refuting what he says. But this is the first time they spend the night together, sleeping side by side. Yeah. On the floor. How uncomfortable would that have been? Well, if I was next to David, I wouldn't care. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, so he goes to get him a coffee and Maddie sits there and ponders for a moment and looks at the casket yeah. and decides to say hello to Mr. Kandinsky. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And she then, says hello. Hello. The lightning strike <laughs> happens. Yes, lightning strike. And we assume it's a blackout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it looks like he's turned all the lights off and he walks in with candles and cake, but he didn't bring in the mocha java like he said he was going to. I know, I know. But I think that was his excuse. He brought a cake and he was like going to try this whole birthday thing with her again. But But I want to know where he got the cake from because it looked pretty good. I know. Well, I think he set it up. He again thought ahead and, you know, he's like, no, tonight, you know, it's Maddie's birthday. We're going to try to get him to celebrate when we're there. You know, it's mm-hmm. thoughtful. He's being thoughtful again, you know. So he starts singing the birthday song again. Uh, he wants her to blow yeah. out the candles, but she says they're in a mortuary. And he says, exactly, who are you going to offend? <laughs> he wants her to, <laughs> oh, my God. And he wants her to humor him, but she is adamant that he turned the lights back on. So 
why don't you blow them out yourself? He goes, no way. I saved my strength for your wish. Uh-huh. There he That's goes again. Great. There's so many yep. great one-liners in this scene. It's fabulous. Yes, there are. Definitely. She begins to get the corner ready and he finally admits. He says, I'm sorry, but I just don't get it. Atmosphere aside, this is a momentous occasion. This is your birthday. Mm-hmm. Was the past year really bad? Like he said, he was good for him and he keeps talking and she says, shut up. Mm-hmm. She says, shut up to him. And he's shut like, up. shut and up. Like, shut up. <laughs> In fact, it was a pretty terrific year for me. I mean, I know it's not my birthday, so it probably doesn't mean that much to you anyway, but in my opinion. Shut up. Uh, shut up. Shut up. Uh, I know. He's like, shut up. But what I was going to say about this part of the scene is, you know, it just drives David crazy that Maddie is not happy about being in business with him and partners and the agency and all this stuff. It drives him crazy. He wants her to be happy. Yeah. And you know know what? He brings that up so many times. Exactly. This is always, always, always brought up. It's always brought up and it just, it never goes anywhere. Oh, I know. And he's like always having to reconvince her. So she wants him to relight the candles and turn off the light and come and sit next to me. So I have something to lean on. He changes tune. He's not angry anymore. He changes. He goes, whatever you say, boss. He looks so excited. I was going to say, how fast does he move? move? He's so excited to get that invitation. He moves super fast. He's like right there. Lights those candles and gets over there. Now, this is where he sings that funny, weird song again, which I think is either the same or similar song that he sang in Portrait of Maddie. You know, he does that funny sort of... Yeah. I don't know what that song is. I know. It's like a swarmy, a swarmy. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Swa- it's, it seems like it's from some sort of, you know, like a chiller theater type. Maybe it's a Stooges reference because that's what is be. like one of his first go tos, you know? It might be a Stooges reference. I don't know. But yeah. We should listen to those songs side by side. But yes, I know it was driving me a bit nuts too. I'm like, what song is that? And wipe that stupid grin off your face. This happens to be the smartest grin I own. Mm-hmm. And she yep. says, I don't get any ideas. Don't need to. Brought plenty on with me. He says, happy birthday, Maddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of like a thank you, you know. Kind it's of like her way of, it. Yeah, it's her way of saying thank you. Yeah, it's her way of saying thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so another thing I noticed here is um, the camera focuses on the candles and they get lower and lower, but it's clear that it's the body doubles in the background. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. Did you notice that? I sure did. Because that guy has a longer face, I noticed, as he's got his Yeah, and a different hairline. In the different hairline, yes. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's not David. We know that. So next morning, the director of the mortuary walks in again and wakes them up at 6 a.m., just as he said he would, and... They check to see if the body is still there. And David says, I think the stiff stiffed us. I think they've done a terrible job. I don't think their job was to sleep on the floor. I mean, someone was supposed to be watching the body. I thought they were going to do this in shifts. Yes. I mean, they could be home sleeping through the night while the body's there. I mean, what, what difference would it make? So, yeah, this was not their best detective work. Someone should have been sitting by that casket all night, you know, and then the other one should have been sleeping for a little bit and vice versa. But also, didn't Maddie say that she was going home to sleep because they were going to be up all night? Why did they just fall asleep and let this happen? I think they're both in the belief that, you know what, this guy's not going anywhere. We can go to sleep. But you're right. One of them should have been awake. You're right. Why did she go to sleep in the afternoon for? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How much sleep are you getting here? Now, I think David might have been distracted, like, oh, Maddie wants me to sit next to her and she wants to cuddle up her head on my shoulder and all of that. I'm down for this. So I think he might have gotten caught up in like having Maddie next to him. But I don't know. Yeah. As you say, stuffed it up. Bad. Yeah, bad. And the other thing that I always notice, and I've paused it and I've rewound it and looked at it many times, Grace, how they're laying in the morning. Yes. <laughs> Maddie's on her side. David's head is on her leg (laughs) and his hand is grasping her pant leg. So his fingers are on her leg. You know what I mean? Yep. And, (laughs) and her hand is on his face. (laughs) 
Yes. So I like to think like how they ended up in this, you know, they're kind of twisted around each other. It's pretty cute. What did they really get up to, Shauna? Maybe they <laughs> did it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they got a little handsy. Mm-hmm. No, um, they definitely were like, you know, all twisted around each other, all intertwined a bit. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I thought it they're was an interesting position to end up in. Yeah, exactly. They're very they're comfortable if they're like in this position together, I would say. But yes, yeah, so the guy comes in 6 a.m. <laughs> and they definitely look like they're just waking up. They're all like groggy and everything and helping each other stand up. Like you said, the stiff stiff dust and all that. The body's not in the casket. And they say, you can check on their hood. What? I think the stiff stiff this. What do you mean? He's a light sleeper. Take a look. David, he's gone. And so are we. And the thing I love about this last little scene is they start running out the door and Bruce reaches his hand over and waves at the guy like this. <laughs> Did you oh, notice that? I didn't notice that. Yeah. So like as they're heading out the door, Bruce actually takes the time to wave goodbye to the guy, which is really funny, (laughs) which is pretty cute. They can't believe that he's disappeared. So now we're in the car and they're having a disagreement about telling Carolyn the truth about the body. Maddie feels they have an obligation to the client, but David doesn't want to tell her as it's the cremation day. And she won't even know the difference if they don't tell her. He doesn't want to go to her house early in the morning and tell her that her husband has ceased to be deceased. And yes. <laughs> he and says, the stiff took a stroll. A lot of, a lot of yeah. those kind of sounds. More the S ceased, words. Alliteration of the S-S-S-S-S. The, yeah. the stiff took a stroll, ceased to be deceased and things like that. He says he has a better idea, but Maddie says, I'm all ears. And he says, not from yeah. where I'm sitting. Yeah. So I know they say I'm all ears. He says I'm all ears. And the next episode, every daughter's father is a virgin. And he said it in, did he say it in Tupperman? I'm all ears. Or no, he it, was a, it was a recent episode that he said something similar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also we forgot to say, you know, when he entered the mortuary, he said. Rang. Oh, he says, yes. I wrote that yeah. down. Yeah. Which he says quite a bit as well. Yes, he says you rang when he walks in with the candles and cake and no coffee. Yeah, and he said that in Bride of Tupperman when she said men. Yeah, he says in the car. So I'm all ears and you rang. These are like some common phrases that keep popping up in these episodes and not from where I'm sitting. (laughs) I'm all ears. Not from where I'm sitting. And he wants to lie, but Maddie doesn't lie, does she? She said that in another episode. I don't lie. She doesn't believe in lying to her clients. Which is a good thing. He already talked her into that in My Fair David and then, you know, she regretted it. So, mm. But it wasn't a good idea lying to Mrs. Graydon. <laughs> that was a bad oh, one. <laughs> that was a bad idea. That killed Clark. Yep. <laughs> he also says Bobbing. <laughs> so this house is definitely Hancock Park, the Hancock Park area of LA. Nice big houses and mansions. The same as Mrs. Graydon's house. That was in the same place, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. And they go up to the door. And David starts knocking um, to let Mrs. Kandinsky know what happened. And, of course, they have a, a joke with the knocker. You know, you're going to wake up the dead. David! You'll wake up the, the dead. Too late for that. <laughs> they never want that one slip past, do they? They take every opportunity to put a one-liner in there. I love it. So Mrs. Kandinsky is shocked to see them, and she knows why they're there. And um, he's yeah. coming back to kill me, and then she slams the door. Mm-hmm. And David was right. He goes, when you're right, you're right. Lying in this moment would have been a huge mistake. Full of sarcasm. But they didn't even have a chance to lie. She already knows. I guess he's saying they shouldn't have shown up there. Maybe they should have called her and said, it's done. He's there. I guess that's what he wanted to happen. So apparently Maddie and David drive all over Los Angeles to police stations, hospitals and cemeteries. But he wants to go home because Maddie, we've been in the same clothes for two days. But Maddie is determined to find Kandinsky's body for Carolyn. At the beginning of the scene, she says, where to next? Mm. He's holding a book that is titled Los Angeles County Populous Street Atlas. Yeah. I've never seen a book like that before, but I guess this is maybe just a list of all the streets in Los Angeles or something. Yeah, it must be the equivalent of our Melways. We've got a book called Melways, which has got all the streets of Melbourne in it. Okay. 
So yeah, they've just been driving all around looking for Mr. Kandinsky, I guess, every hospital police station. Yeah. So they're doing their due diligence to try to find the body. Mm. Yeah. Like you said, two days. They have a very philosophical discussion about life and death and that some things come with no explanation. And David says there are some things in life that are inexplicable. She says, yeah, you and me working together. Oh, my God, Maddie. Maddie, stop it. (laughs) I know. Thank you for listening to In God We Strongly Suspect Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting Moonlighting the Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.